0: amen and hallelujah you can take a seat you know it's it's pretty funny as the words hallelujah come out of my mouth something really cool about our house if you ever come over for dinner you're going to experience two things number one we're handholders when we say grace Any any handholders here around the fact come on you guys would love my house. We we hold hands around the dinner table, and also I've got two little kids, a little son named Caleb, who's three, and a little one called Luke, Uh, and he's, what is he, 19 months, maybe 20 months. And also, my name's Phil, if we haven't met before. I'm a pastor here at True North. I spend most of my Sundays uh, at Mullaloo, but so cool to be here at Merrile with my favorite campus pastor, Michelle Gomans. Come on. But, but anyway, I, I'm in the middle of a story. Sorry, you can't have all the attention all the time, Michelle. No, she's not like that at all. But, but anyway, whenever we, so we, we hold our hands, we say amen. And then my little son, Caleb, as soon as we say amen, he goes, Hallelujah. And, and it's funny, he actually picked that up from me. Me and Michelle were visiting a church one time, and one of the, the members of the staff team we were spending a little bit of time with, every time we said amen, she would go, hallelujah! And so, yeah, so I brought that to my grace table, that was, that was fun. So this is a picture of my life and what dinner time looks for us Uh, But you know what, we're going to have an awesome time this morning. We're continuing in our series, Joy Unspeakable. Who was here last week as Pastor Dean took us into that? Good stuff, right? If you happen to miss that, I want to give you the verse that's going to frame the whole idea of this great series as we come together and say there's something in pursuing the presence of God, the Spirit of God, that will bring an inexpressible joy in our soul. And the verse for our series is 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 8. And it says this, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And in some other translations, it calls it an unspeakable joy that there's something in the pursuit of who God is, placing our faith in who God is and seeking more of his Holy Spirit that will bring this unspeakable joy to our life. You know, it's gonna be a really cool few weeks heading into Pentecost Sunday in a couple of weeks' time. We're gonna come together to seek God's presence. We're gonna have a special worship service here uh, that night. That's right, Michelle, I'm not getting ahead of myself. Yep, never mind. she was talking to Riley. (laughs) I'll ask, you know, one of the welcome teams here. Yeah, no, no, it's good. We're going to have a special worship service, right, Pentecost Sunday. Yeah, that's going to be good. And it's going to be right here as well. I'm looking forward to that. Oh yeah, great! Uh, it's uh, it really is great uh, to be here and speaking in speaking into that. You know, today we're going to go as we speak about unspeakable joy to what some people have come to call the book of joy in the New Testament, the letter of joy in the New Testament, and it is Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians. Now, the reason that this particular book, this letter, is, has received the title of the letter of joy is because throughout its brief chapters, Paul, its writer uses the word joy 16 times in its variations, to have joy, to be joyful, to rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord always, overflowing with joy because of who God is, overflowing with joy because of what God is doing in your church, overflowing with joy because of what God is doing in me. And now there's something so profound in the occasion of the writing of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi that when Paul writes this letter of joy, and you can almost imagine him with a beaming smile on his face as he writes the letter, he's in prison. He's in prison. His freedom's been stripped away. He hasn't committed any crime. But he's in prison because he's preaching about who Jesus is. Now, as a follower of God, as a person that puts your faith in Jesus if you find yourself in prison because of that, it could be a position where it might be warranted to be a little bit negative. But Paul, in that situation, overflows with joy. Because joy for Paul had nothing to do with either the positive or the negative realities of his life, but rather who Jesus was. And that's the nature of that unspeakable joy not founded in circumstance, which is subject to change, but founded in Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Someone say amen. Come on. I want to, want to bring, uh, begin our focus on chapter 3 in Philippians this morning. I want to take you straight up to verse, verse 10, and we're going to see it up on the screens here and I want you to to underscore these first five words in your reading. In fact, just focus on them for now. This is the cry of Paul's heart. It's the center of everything he writes in this letter. I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus. That's just the foundation for me. I want to know Christ. And in this desire, as Paul speaks out through Philippians, we see that there's this connection between a heart that desires to know more of Jesus and a heart that knows more of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You know, I love, I love this phrase, and I think about it. You know, sometimes we'll meet somebody, we'll meet somebody new, and you have an instant rapport with them, Right? Maybe they're charismatic, maybe they're really funny, maybe they're, you know, really skilled in whatever it is they do. And you're just like, wow, that person's amazing. And then the next natural thing for us to do is say, hey, that person's awesome, I wanna to get to know them better. I had the exact experience when I met Jeff Gomans for the first time. It's like, that dude has an amazing beard, I've gotta get around that. But we've had this kind of experience, right, where you meet someone for the first time, you're like, yeah, I wanna to get to know them better, they're awesome, they're amazing. A lot of the times it happens when we're single and we notice someone of the opposite sex. You're Like, whoa, I want to get to know you better. I, I didn't mean to turn a profound scriptural truth creepy, but look, here we are. And, and we get the sense that we see someone, that person's amazing. And I want to get to know them more. Now, here's the step in our journey of faith where I think a lot of us get stuck. We recognize that Jesus is amazing. The gospel is amazing. The gospel goes beyond words. And it stays at that point. We miss the step where we say, Jesus is amazing, and I want to know him more. It's natural in every other connection in our life. But somehow when it comes to Jesus, we miss this step. Say, Jesus is amazing. Man, I've got to know him more. I've got to know more of who He is. I've got to seek to know Him more. I've got to have a new desire to know more of Him. And for Paul, there's this, there's this profound link between a desire to know more of Jesus and experiencing more of His Holy Spirit and the joy that comes from an indwelling of the Spirit in our lives. So we're going to go a little bit earlier in the passage now. We're going to go to Philippians 3 verse 4. Now, Paul spent a little bit of time. Now, something you've got to understand about Paul if you, if you don't know his story is that he, he was what's called a Pharisee in the first century, that, that he was a, a champion for, for the Old Testament law and the, the Old Testament way of connecting with God by meeting the righteous requirements of the law. And the system before Jesus came to change everything was that I had to be good enough to know who God is. But now in Jesus... I have to place my faith in Him, and by grace, I can know who God is. So Paul begins this part of the letter by challenging what's sometimes called that legalistic point of reference to how we connect with God. And he's saying, you put your confidence in what he calls the flesh, which is a a symbolic word, to capture that entire pursuit of knowing God based on getting everything right. He says, you put confidence in these things. Check this out. Here's my story. Before I knew Jesus, here's who I was. And in verse four, he begins, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day which was a significant day of tradition and ceremony. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You almost get the sense that Paul's bragging about who he was. A Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, persecuting anything that stood against Judaism and his way of understanding what it meant to connect with God. As for righteousness based on the law, Man, I was faultless. I was faultless. He's, kind of, he's, he's just very uh, you wouldn't necessarily say "humble is the way that he's describing himself throughout this passage, but he's saying, "Look, if you think this is the pathway to God, this is who I was, who I was, before I met Jesus on a dirt path on the way to Damascus. This is what I was." You know what Paul's doing throughout these verses? He's describing markers of identity. Markers of identity. Why don't you hold on to that phrase this morning? Paul's describing, these are the markers of identity. And he drew confidence from those markers of identity. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Not, Not something men typically brag about today, here and now, but... But he's bragging about all these things. These were the things that I placed my confidence in. And they made me feel whole. They made me feel complete. And I drew a measure of joy from these things. My confidence was in these markers of identity. You know, each and every one of us, we too have markers of identity. For us, they're going to be a little bit different to a first century Jew. But we've got markers of identity that we place value on and draw confidence from. There'll be a range of different things. Maybe it's I, it's I perceive myself to be intelligent. I'm not speaking about myself here, just to be clear. Maybe for me it's a pursuit in education and getting bachelor degree and master's degrees and all kinds of things and, and being someone who is smart. That's a marker of identity. Maybe it's in your sporting world, in your hobbies, you're skilled, you're gifted, you do well. It's another marker of identity that you draw value from and brings a measure of joy. Maybe it's found in relationships, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your relationship with your children or your parents, or maybe in a group of friends, a circle of friends, that I have value because I'm a part of that community of friends. It could be all kinds of things different markers of identity that come together to make us feel whole, and because we can point reference to those markers of identity, we experience a measure of joy, because our confidence has been placed in them. And this is exactly the picture Paul's describing about himself. But then in verse 7, he's going to flip it. Now, it's something I, I've recently started doing as a mental image. In the New Testament, a lot of times, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, different writers, they will take a truth, and then they will flip it. And what I think about to help remind myself of that is like a pancake. You know, any, anyone like cooking pancakes? Get in the frying pan, you've got to kind of jiggle it a bit so it gets unstuck, and then you flip it, right? Paul's going to flip this reality. So, can, can we get our pancakes out real quick? Go on, ready to flip, and, and give it a flip. One, two, three, flip. Did everyone catch it? Come on, only some of you did it. It was fun for those of us that did it. He's going to flip it. And in verse 7, he says this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. This picture of who I was, all these markers of identity, since coming to know Jesus, there's something different about me. And those things that I once thought were incredible gain, I now see as a loss. Paul's speaking in particular about the the conversation about legalism and the law. But now he's going to blow it up and make it wider and all-encompassing. And this is where we've got to start listening. And Philippians 3 verse 8 says this, "'What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord.'" for whose sake I have lost all things. Listen to this phrase. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul's taken this idea and he's stretched it. And he said, Anything that takes away my focus of knowing Jesus is literally as garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Him. Now, one of the funny things that you pick up as Paul's writing letters and I've touched on it already, is that he often has a fairly strong reaction to people who continue to place value on the righteous requirements of the law. So this idea that I have to be a certain way, that I have to do a certain number of things, that my behaviour has to look a certain way. That whenever Paul encounters that, he gets pretty up and about. He gets pretty vocal. He gets pretty volatile. Towards the start of this passage, he talks about them as being dogs, as being mutilators of the flesh. In another passage in Galatians, he he talks about those demanding for, for circumcision as being one of the requirements of knowing God. He said, I wish you guys would just go the whole way and emasculate yourselves. Right? That's full on. That's in the Bible. Now, here's why I think Paul has such a strong reaction to those who present the truth, that you need to be a certain way to know God. He reacts to it so strongly because in its nature, that point of view is declaring that knowing Jesus does not matter. Right? When they're saying that the key to knowing God is being like this, this, and this, what they're actually saying is Jesus does not matter. And Paul, whose life has been transformed by an encounter with the loving grace of Jesus, something fires up within him and says, No, Jesus is all that matters. He's all that matters. And then Paul takes that idea and stretches it beyond the confines of the argument against the law. And he says, To cover all things, I consider all things garbage. Compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, you know I'm a I'm a huge Garfield fan. You, you guys know Garfield, like the the cat that's lazy, loves lasagna, having naps. I, th- I think that's the two things he does and beats up Odie. It, 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 uh, yeah, I read a lot of Garfield in my time. There's this one, one particular comic strip in, in Garfield where Garfield, who loves food, obviously his kind of deal is being a hungry cat. He, he loves food and he's talking about how food on a plate is such an amazing thing. It's beautiful, whatever it is, roast chicken, whether it's like arancini, maybe a burrito, maybe some, come on, give me something else. Lasagna, well, yeah, did I say lasagna already? That's fitting for garbage. Yeah, I did, Chris was listening. Whatever this food is, it's amazing. But the second that that food on the plate hits the sink, it becomes garbage. Right? Anyone else like this? Like maybe you're, you're roasting some vegetables, you've got some broccoli, it's in the pan, uh, and you're, you're kind of draining it, a little bit of broccoli falls onto the sink, and you're like, oh, instantly, broccoli, you're dead to me. <laughs> we associate the sink with being dirty and as soon as that food hits the sink, it's garbage. Anyone else like that? You know, it's probably one of our Western hang-ups that we need to continue to work on. But, but this is me. I'm like, if, if food goes in the sink, that's to be discarded. Now, I feel sorry for that poor little piece of broccoli because nothing has changed about that little piece of broccoli. Let's call him Steve so we can identify with him more. Steve was exactly the same as all the other pieces of broccoli. But because he found himself on the sink and not on the plate, his value to me instantly changed. And he became garbage. Poor Steve. Now this picture is what Paul's speaking into that those markers of identity that had value upon a certain foundation focused on self had incredible value. They had value to Paul. But now the foundation has changed to become the number one priority in my life is knowing Jesus. And know those things that once had value have been emptied of their value compared to the surpassing worth of knowing more and more of who Jesus is. So here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. What are the things in my life? For Paul, he has a strong reaction against legalism. Why? Because it took focus of knowing who Jesus was more and more. So the question for us to ask ourselves, uh, what are the things in my life that draw focus away from the pursuit of knowing more of who Jesus is? Because we recognize together that a lot of us, we find ourselves in this place where we uphold Jesus and say, yeah, that's amazing. But then maybe it doesn't follow with a step to say, I want to know him more. You know, I think the reason we find ourselves in that place is because we have one too many markers of identity that take focus away from the number one priority, the foundation of the life of faith, to say, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. To have a reframing in the soul, to say, seeking Jesus needs to be a bigger priority in my life. And then when that happens... All of those other values, all of those other markers of identity, all of those other priorities will find their Spirit-led order upon the foundation of who Jesus is. And that's where joy comes from, an unchanging foundation, the Spirit of God in our lives. We go back to the Scripture. And we're to go back to our, our keynote verse. Do you guys know that that we sometimes call Pastor Michelle keynote? Because <laughs> she she was the keynote speaker at some local conference and she had that name for a little while. Anyway, I get distracted. To go to our, our key verse here, Philippians 3, verse 10. We're going to go back to that opening phrase. I want to know Christ. Can you say it together? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power. And Paul's going to give us Three places where we're going to know Jesus more. I want to know the power of His resurrection and participation, or other translations will say, fellowship in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. That I want to know more of Jesus. I want to know more of Him in His resurrection. I want to know more of Him in His sufferings. I want to know more of Him in His death. so let's consider these three things. If we're saying that, that our desire, our priority needs to shift to knowing more of who Jesus is. Let's talk about knowing more of Him in His resurrection. You know, the greatest picture that we have of this is baptism, is that idea that symbolically through the waters of baptism, that as we come out of the water there's this sense of resurrected spiritual life through who Jesus is and what he has done. That as Jesus walked out of the tomb in resurrected life, we step in to a resurrected life in the joy of his spirit. To know Jesus in his resurrection is to have a personal revelation of the life-giving power of Jesus in my heart. To know more of Jesus is to have an increasing value placed on what He has done in me and the newness of life in me. You know, if you're new here to, to True North, you may not have heard a phrase that, that is just the, at the core of everything we do here. To be a centre for renewal as we passionately pursue the presence of God. To seek to know Jesus more. And when we seek to know Jesus more, our heart will exist in a condition of daily renewal as the resurrected Jesus and His Spirit resides within to bring new life day after day after day, to know Jesus in the power of His resurrection. Then it gets a little bit more difficult to process, to know Jesus in His suffering, to have fellowship with Jesus in his suffering. You know, for Paul, this was a very literal thing. I mentioned he was in prison as he wrote the letter to the, Philippi, to the, to the church at Philippi. That he'd experienced beatings, he'd experienced all kinds of hardships. He knew what it was to suffer like Jesus suffered. But when we use this word suffering, when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, it always has to be connected to Cause. Because Jesus suffered because of the incredible cause that he had. That Jesus went to the cross because he saw you, because he saw me, on the other side of the cross. So the cause was always to bring blessing to people that they might know God. But suffering just defined the path for a time. So when we think of the suffering of Jesus and when we think what it means to know Jesus in his suffering, another way we could think about it would be to say, how do we know Jesus through self-sacrifice? That's what defined Jesus' suffering. To know Jesus in a laying down of self. There's an awesome guy here at our church. I won't use his name because he wouldn't want me uh, telling a story that makes him look good (laughs) And, and uh, he, he does an incredible thing with his weekends. He's, uh, he's what's called a street chaplain. And he goes into to Northbridge and other kind of heavy traffic social places in the weekend. And he's there to help people that are, that are struggling with alcohol, struggling with drugs, that are in an unsafe place. And, and he sits with them, he talks to them, he makes sure they get to, to paramedics or ambulances if they need that support. And he's just there to keep young people primarily safe. He's a guy in his 60s and he goes down and he's literally doing that three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. He's helping drunk kids and make sure they get home safe. Now that's a pretty amazing thing when I think about what typically I'm doing at three and four o'clock in the morning, just sleeping, resting. Now here's something that I believe, that my friend that, that chooses to go out and does that, when he's out there in the street, all kinds of stuff going on around him, And he's kneeling down with someone who's lost consciousness because they've made a series of bad decisions. And he's just there to make sure they're safe. You know, in that act of selflessness, he knows something of who Jesus is. The kneeling down on the street with someone completely broken. When he finds himself in that position of selflessness, he learns something about who Jesus is. He knows Jesus in a deeper way. Because that moment, that picture of laying down of self, getting out of your warm bed, to go to probably what is the worst part of Perth you can imagine, to make sure people stay safe. That to partner and to know Jesus in his sufferings is actually really about partnering in his cause is about selflessly laying down a part of who we are to be a blessing to others. Do you know that's why the church exists? It's why Christ gave His Spirit to form the church, that we would know Jesus in His suffering by being a blessing to those that need it most. So to know more of Jesus is to know more of His cause in the selfless actions led by the Spirit of God. Now, let's talk about knowing Him in His death. Knowing Him in His death. Now, I want to go back to this idea that Paul talked about, between that contrast between knowing God by meeting the righteous requirements of the law, as he talked about, versus knowing God through desiring to know more of who Jesus is. You know, this is kind of a, a kind of a picture that when we think about who God is, we, we can recognize together that God is The Creator that God is so much bigger than us, that God is all-powerful. He goes beyond understanding. And when we assign those kind of words to God, we we place Him up here. We say, this is God. He's the Creator. He's all-powerful. He goes so far beyond my comprehension. That is what God is. This is who God is. And in His nature, He is up there. And then when we think about how we connect to God, we identify, okay, if God's up there, He's the Creator, I'm His creation, then, I, then I'm, I'm down here, I'm down here. And the idea between with the, the righteous requirements of the law, and, and it kind of makes sense in some of our thinking even today, that if I'm going to know God, I've got to climb up that ladder to be more like God in order that I could know Him. That I've got to adjust my behaviour, and as I become more like God, I'll climb closer and closer to who He is. I've got to do this, this and this, and then I can get a little bit higher, a little bit closer to knowing the fullness of who God is. Because God, He's up here, and I'm here. Now, the most important truth of Scripture, the most important truth of the New Testament, and Paul alludes to it constantly is that the way to the Father is through what? The Son. It's through Jesus. That the way to the Father is through Jesus, and in particular, the ministry of the cross. Now, here's where the picture gets interesting. So we say, if the way to God, it's not about me climbing up, but it's actually through Jesus and the cross The cross and Jesus, it's nowhere up here, it's actually beneath me. That Jesus lowered himself, he became sin on my behalf, and in so doing, Jesus took the lowest place in creation. So that if I'm gonna know God, my pathway is through Jesus. And it's not about going up to find Jesus and the cross. It's not about saying, I've got this right about me. I've got these markers of identity that give me confidence so that I can climb higher to who God is. But it's about saying, no, like Jesus in his death, I have to die to self and not climb up, but kneel down to find Jesus at the cross. That's what it means to know Jesus in his death, is to die to self and say that knowing Jesus isn't about climbing higher, being better. It's about saying, God, all these things around me that hold value, that held value, they're nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing you to let go of them, to kneel down at the cross, to say, Jesus, I just want to know you. I just want to know you. I invite the, the team to come back and join us. Are we, are we finishing in a song? Is that what's happening? Awesome. Couldn't be happier with that. That's great. Yeah, you know, I want to encourage you this morning. To make knowing Christ a more significant priority in your life. And be careful of how you order those words. I'm not saying make Jesus a bigger priority in your life. We'd be well served to do that. But I think the step that we need to take hold of is make knowing Jesus that bigger priority in our life. Allow knowing Jesus to shape what we do. You know, I was reflecting on this desire this week and I almost think that I would rather spend one day in prayer over the next 12 months with the desire to say, Jesus, I want to know you more. I think that would hold more value than me choosing to pray every day because I was marking off a list of what I should or should not do. I think I'd be better served in my life to open God's Word once in the next six months with the desire to say, Jesus, I want to know you more. than open it every day because I think that it's a good idea. What I'm suggesting is that we need to allow the desire to know more of Jesus to shape how we approach absolutely everything else. And the truth that Paul brings out of Scripture is that when we make the desire to know Jesus the biggest priority in our life, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will know in greater measures what it means to live a life of joy grounded in who Christ is and through His Holy Spirit. Guys, as we come towards the end of our service today, I'd love to take a moment to pray for you that you would know more and in ever-increasing ways who Jesus is. Can we stand together this morning? I'd love to pray. You know, if you're here this morning and the prayer of your heart is to say, Jesus, I want to know you more. Say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to give you an invitation even in this moment. As a symbolic sign, just to hold your hands out in front of you and prayerfully before God to pray that prayer. Jesus, I want to know you more. Jesus, I want to know you more. The desire of my heart is to know you more. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here in this place today, Lord. Thank you that your presence, that Jesus, your spirit is moving. And Lord, I ask it in this moment, every person that stands in your presence, maybe their hands before you, just saying, Jesus, I want to know you more. Jesus, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal yourself to them, Lord. God, I pray that there would be something of a transformation in the (sighs) reference point of their life, that some of those old markers of identity Lord, if some of them need to be stripped of their value compared to the surpassing worth of knowing you, Jesus, Lord, I ask that that would happen too in this moment. Lord, give us a new desire for you. God, we recognize that you are our Savior. Through the giving of your Son, you are the one that brings hope, peace, and joy unspeakable. And God, we want to know you more. And Lord, even as we sing this last song together, I pray that there would be a joy that's flowing here this morning, God. We praise you, Jesus. We thank you for your presence. And God, our prayer today is to simply know you more, to know more of the joy we find in your spirit. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, we're going we're to worship God together one last time. I do want to encourage you as well. If you'd love someone to pray with you coming out of the service today, coming out of the message, Michelle, some of the other pastors, I'll be down here as well. We'd love to spend some time praying with you. We've got a prayer team as well. Do they hang out here? They'll be there. Awesome. And I just encourage you. If you'd love someone to pray with you, take that step this morning. But We're going to praise, we're going to worship our great God as we finish our service together. So let's do that together.